Here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas, just after 8 o'clock. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We're here live, same time every Sunday at Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you live from Spencer's studio in Las Vegas, located basically at the 95 and Jones Boulevard. While we're here because we've been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bancorp studio until further notice due to what else? COVID protocol. One day, one day. Joining me on the show is social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, that's right. Spencer has his own theme music. Oh, my God. Uh, listen, also show social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bancorp studio is longtime Lotus Broadcasting producer Bobby Machado. Happy to have him joining us and helping us out here today on the show. Uh, we are also streaming live on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. It's at out of line, Fox LV. Since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bay Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on tap brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you currently own, Residential Bank Corp is a company to turn to for all of your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. On tap, we will give you some key upcoming dates for the Vegas Golden Knights. UNLV played a respectable first half of football in Arizona last night. Tennis history is being made this weekend. In fact, this is all about it. The Las Vegas Raiders host the Monday night football opener in front of a full house of vaccinated fans at Allegiant Stadium tomorrow night. And we will talk NFL week one matchups and lines. The Wiz will catch up. And catch us up on the playoff-bound Las Vegas Aces. And the Las Vegas Aviators have won two out of three so far in their six-game homestand against Reno. They'll play tonight, tomorrow, and Tuesday if you want to catch them before they head back out of town. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America. One neighborhood at a time, and right now, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home financing program in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for details. What's going on, Spence? Another week, and you're all over there. I just saw you drop the microphone thing. It's early Sunday morning. People don't realize you drive in from Pahrump every single Sunday. Matter of fact, just about every day of the week. Yeah, this is what I do for a living. It takes me about an hour 10 to get here, uh, but (laughs) trying to get the show ready, but everything should be good. I'm glad to be here. You're here every week, man. You get it done. You do the job, and we appreciate you, and that's how you go from from intern to social media director to who knows what else is coming up in the future, but um, spent some, some key dates for the Vegas Golden Knights, and go ahead and hit this. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Keep in mind, coming up for gold, Vegas Golden Knights fans, I know we're off season. We got football season starting today. College uh, going crazy. Huge upset yesterday. All kinds of stuff going on. UNLV playing tennis history. But um, Vegas Golden Knights, man, still among the top subjects in the state of Nevada on a regular basis, man. I probably don't go a week without at least talking about them a little bit. But uh, some big dates coming up. Uh, the 15th, which is this coming Wednesday. Oh, uh, wait. The 30, yeah, it's Wednesday, right? They have rookie camp opens up. And then uh, the 17th through the 20th, uh, the rookie face-off tournament will be at Glendale, Arizona. An opportunity to uh, head out there. There's tickets available to see uh, the rookies all for the Vegas Golden Knights play. Training camp officially opens on September 22nd. The first preseason game is 
is at the close to the end of the month. They'll play the San Jose Sharks on September 26th. And October 12th is the regular season opener at T-Mobile Arena against the brand new, how fitting that they play the newest franchise, the Seattle Kraken. So the most recent, uh, the newest, um, I should say, expansion franchise against uh, the most recent expansion franchise a couple years back, the Vegas Golden Knights. And Spencer, there's one other, which I think is a really important date for Vegas Golden Knights fans. And go ahead and you can give that one. Mark your calendar. Uh, January 8th, Flurry makes his debut back in the T-Mobile Arena, obviously with a different team. So I'm sure that'll be a very prestigious ticket. If you can get him now before people really realize what's going on, I would do it. It's going to be a great night. I expect rousing standing ovation for Marc-Andre Fleury and leaving this subject alone because we beat it. We beat this horse into the Elmer Glue factory. But what I will say about it is, uh, you know, I really think the trade of Marc-Andre Fleury to the Chicago Blackhawks was huge for him and huge for Vegas. As much as people don't see it right now, as much as they're upset, it took the stain and the tarnish off of his game to gaff. And that is something that uh, a lot of people feel uh, really, um, excuse me, the game three gaff, but a lot of people feel that that, uh, that really changed the course and the outcome of this entire series. And uh, the other series, I should say, between the Vegas Golden Knights and Montreal Spencer, it's something that was talked about. Fleury was, uh, I don't want to say people were slamming Fleury. People know that if it wasn't for Fleury, they wouldn't have been there. And it would be ludicrous to slam the guy for one gaff, but that's a gaff you don't make in ban him hockey, let alone a, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, future Hall of Famer, the face of the Vegas Golden Knights expansion franchise for the first four seasons, and then a gaffe like that. By him going away, it let everyone start complaining about the fact they let him go, bitching about Kelly McCrimmon and what have you. I hope that isn't a faux pas on the radio, but I don't know. Um, I think the FCC allows that word, but either way, uh, the point is is that they, um, by letting him go, it took the focus completely off of that gaff and everyone starts thinking oh my god what are we gonna do without flurry yes leonard's good but flurry's what made him better and i'm glad that talk is what's being talked about rather than the gaff and hopefully that slowly slides away maybe not really will ever slide away till the golden knights get back to the stanley cup finals and win it but at least took the focus off of it now bet when mark andre flurry flurry uh, returns here in january spencer huge round standing ovation man i'm definitely going to be at that one yeah and as you were talking about that, hasn't it been the, the story of the Golden Knights their entire tenure in the league with just some crazy things happening like San Jose? You know, you have the major penalty, one of the biggest gaffes like for refs like ever, maybe in NHL. So it's just funny that there's just the Golden Knights are always there, but there's always just some strange occurrence that happens that keeps them from going all the way. It's Vegas, man. What happens in Vegas? Well, I guess when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights, it doesn't stay in Vegas. But, um, you know, it's been an unbelievable run. There are all kinds of different stories around, but I wasn't surprised at all. As I've said many times, I thought Ryan Reeves, I thought Mark andre Fleury, I thought they'd both be gone at the end of the season based on what I saw. And again, Fleury going to be 38 years old. His trade value is never higher than it is right now after winning the, you know, a, a, after winning the prestigious award that he did this year and Marc-Andre Fleury, one of the greatest of all times. Um, we'll leave that alone. And uh, let's talk about um, some UNLV football, Spencer. Uh, UNLV played Arizona State yesterday, and for the first half, we had a competitive game. UNLV started off poking your nose in front right away with uh, maybe their second or third most valuable pay a player in Goody Harris, who's uh, perfect on the season so far with field goal attempts. But uh this was the end of the game. Now in the game. Brumfield with time. Leaping towards the goal line. Goes airborne and gets in. Touchdown UNLV. A solid win for Arizona State, but definitely their, their rushing attack is one that's it's going to be hard to stop all season long. Well, as you heard, uh, you know, the touchdown run by um, Brumfield, who I think right now is their best bet and best quarterback. People might argue with me. A lot of people are really excited about Tate Martell returning. Of course, Spencer, the kid was an All-American, the uh, blue chip player of the year out of high school, went to Ohio State in a full ride. Things didn't work out there. Transfers down to the U, Miami. Things didn't work out there. Now here he's back at UNLV. If you're wondering why he's not playing, yeah, he suited up and was activated yesterday. He had 
had major thumb surgery, and that thumb's been causing him a tremendous amount of problems. It is better now, supposedly, but he hasn't thrown a lot of passes, and they're coaxing him along. There's a very good chance you will see Tate Martell before the end of the season. You could even see him as early as next game, depending on how bad Doug Brumfield's injury was, because Brumfield, I'm not going to say he played great, Spencer. The guy, what did the guy have? I think he was, uh, what, 6 of 10 for 60 yards, no touchdowns, no picks in the game, uh, but he did have eight carries for 43 yards in that touchdown run you just heard. I thought he played well. He didn't make a lot of mistakes, no interceptions, a um, couple, of, couple of bad errant throws, but for the most part, he played really well uh, for a UNLV quarterback position that I haven't seen played well since Caleb Herring left here. And um, it was nice to see. It was also nice to see UNLV playing decent defensively, especially in the first half when Arizona State's got a great running game. They've got a running back that will probably be playing on Sundays as early as next year. So pretty cool for UNLV to get that game. But in all, it's a loss, 37-10. to 10. Uh, ASU is ranked 23rd in the country going in. I don't think they hurt that at all. They probably won't move in either direction because it's not. they're not going to consider it a quality win over UNLV. But a 17-point victory, or I should say a 27-point victory, and really it was all in the second half. Once Brumfield went down, we learned one thing, that Justin Rogers isn't leading UNLV anywhere. He is definitely the backup. I don't think you'll see the two names anymore or on the card like we saw the first game. I think Brumfield will be the starter if he's healthy, and I really think they're going to try to rush Tate Martell along, get that thumb better, and get him in the game. But what did you see yesterday that either impressed you, Spence, or had you thinking, oh, my God, here we go again? Well, to talk about Tate Martell, you talked about his thumb injury. Also, we also saw something really interesting, I think, on the first couple of drives where they were really successful. That playbook was wide open for them. They ran so many different sets. I was actually impressed for the first time in Marcus Arroyo's entire tenure to see how many different looks. Arizona State just didn't know what to cover because they were all over the place, which is a great thing. And I think they got away from that a little bit. But, yeah, honestly, the fact that Justin Rogers started this season is nothing short of a complete mystery. You know, um, Brumfield wasn't amazing in the second half, especially, but he took some really bad hits and he's got to be careful. I think that's probably the biggest message. He'll probably be OK for next week, obviously. You know, probably just took him out for the game, but he can't keep running like that. It's it's not meant to last for a full college season. Those guys are going to hit him really bad. And our offensive line is probably like a C minus. So, again, he's going to take some bad sacks. So if he starts running like that, he's got to learn to slide a lot more, in my opinion. Look, the first half was really encouraging. I got excited. I thought maybe it was going to be a big upset. I didn't really believe it as much, but I did like what I saw out of them. It completely fell apart quickly. But, you know, once your starting quarterback comes out and you have some kid who just doesn't really understand the offense or is willing to even look downfield outside of some checkdowns and maybe like right at the yard marker on a first and 10, you're just not going to move down the field, especially against a ranked opponent. We'll see. I mean, there's some, a few winnable games up here coming forward. You know, hopefully they can build off the, the momentum of the first half with Brumfield. Otherwise, you know, we'll get a new look at a quarterback and maybe he's just, you know, just as exciting as advertised. Two out of the three first games against ranked opponents. They got their toughest opponent of the, of the year based on based on rankings coming up next week, although the team they're playing took a loss, but it's a top 10 team as far as division or college football rankings were this past week. We'll talk about that in, a, in just about a minute. I do want to agree with you, though. They were imaginative, Spencer. I saw some ingenuity. I saw some creativity. And uh, I'm not going to give the credit to Marcus Arroyo. I'm going to give it to the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach, Glenn Thomas, who, you know, I thought really called a good game. I mean, Marcus Arroyo's made it clear that his coordinators make the call. So let's give credit where credit is due. There was some imagination, and he is utilizing the talents of Doug Brumfield, which I think is huge. You you know, you you go to the well with the talents that you see in front of you. And, uh, and, and I thought he used Doug Brunfield very well. Obviously, we're going to have to see more passing and better passing out of Brunfield, but no interceptions. I'll take one touchdown run. I hope, again, I don't have any word on what happened. He was definitely didn't play after he took a big hit. He came back in the game for the rest of that series. We never saw him again. That's interesting. And again, if he can't go, I believe they're going to rush Tate Martell along, and I'll bet he starts next week against Iowa State. Um, it's at home. It's at Allegiant. And what a way for his homecoming to start in front of a, a, a fairly good crowd, I would imagine, still at uh, Allegiant Stadium. And Tate Martell, it'd be the perfect time to bring him back. But if Brumfield's healthy, I'd probably start him and, and elevate Martell up to the number two because, again, from what I've seen out of Justin Rogers in the first two games, um, 
I could almost smell the television set. Okay. I know this is out of line, but it wasn't good. So enough of that talking again, that moving ahead, Spencer next week, they do play Iowa state going into the, this week, Iowa state ranked number nine in the country. They got beat pretty well by uh, in-state rivalry, but it's not like they got beat by a slouch. They got beat by the Iowa Hawkeyes, who are ranked 10th right behind them. And um, really, Iowa kind of dominated the game from what I saw. I didn't see very much of it. I only saw the highlights and maybe a very small portion of the game. 27-17, a 10-point win. But Iowa State has an imposing defense, Spencer. They've got a really good offense. Um, as far as anything UNLV has run across, probably a more proficient offense than Arizona State does. Arizona State may be a better running game, but a better all-around offense in uh in um in Iowa State it's going to be a tough game for them next week and their defense is really going to have to step up and one thing I want to mention before I let you elaborate tell me what you think about the game coming up is the play of Noel Williams we talked about him last week he got kicked out of the game early for a targeting call um in in the, in the opener against Eastern Washington but Spencer this kid continues to impress he had the one big pick in the end zone that took away Arizona State's first drive and really kept them from getting a lot of momentum and maybe why it was only a four-point game going into halftime which was really impressive five tackles two of them run assisted and that one interceptions plus he runs back kicks for the team had that one little nice run back he's a fearless competitor he's young and if that's the future of UNLV football I like it but it's a tribute to a, to recruiting to get that guy to come here because I think Noel Williams in two years from now will be an all Mountain West player. I know that's a big statement, but this kid looks really good. No, he could definitely be like the best DB in the entire conference, in my opinion. He's he is that good, and there's a lot to like. I think on the UNLV defense, they've made a lot of really positive plays. They make enough plays. I'll say it this way: that if our offense keeps up, they can win some football games this year. And that is something we have not been able to say about UNLV. Well, at least in the entire time I was there at college, their defense has been bad. And you know, it may not be perfect. It may not be the best in the Mountain West, but certainly it's enough that if Brumfield plays an entire full game, and it's probably not against a rank opponent because next week they are going to get absolutely destroyed. A bitter Iowa State is not going to come in. And, uh, you know, be too happy because, you know, it's a division rival. It's a really bad loss. You don't want to lose that way. They played, you know, pretty sloppy, a lot of turnovers. They're going to have their bounce back win against UNLV. And hopefully they can, you know, go forward from there. I like it. And uh, I think next week will be a tough loss. But after what I've seen, Spencer, um, I think this is a team I think we'll at least see some competitive football out of you out of UNLV and just to see them shoring up defensively. I just can never watch defensive effort like I saw last year. Like I said, there's no way they could be worse. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised with what I've seen, even though they're 0-2. Um, they, they were in both football games till late, and that's pretty impressive. So we'll take it. Uh, we'll get the fact this in a minute. I think you got some sound from the Joker. Soul and my body and my head into that one. Um, I'm going to treat the next match like it will, like it is the last match of my career. It's, it's well, Spencer, before you play this, and we're going to, and that was uh, Djokovic, and I wanted you to hear that. We're teasing fact this, which you're going to hear in a minute. Um, there's a reason he said he's going to put everything into his career, and you're going to hear that in one minute on fact this because. Uh, He's something special, and is he the greatest of all time? We'll hear that in a minute. I just really quickly, one thing we uh, almost left out is talking about college football and some of the big upsets, and I don't want to leave and forget about the, the, the game yesterday, but Ohio State and Oregon. I mean, I knew Oregon was going to be a decent team. I knew that C.J., uh, uh, I think his name C.J. Brett, um, Shroud, I think. No, no, Brendel, Brendel, or Brendel for for Oregon. Oh, who is the, the running back guy? The guy has 161 yards. I think three touchdowns yesterday in the ground. I watched about half of the game. I was flipping around to all the different games, but I will tell you, Oregon looked really good. They looked extremely fast. 35-28 winners at the Horseshoe in in Columbus is a very, very tough place to win. Ohio State struggled against Minnesota last week, and now they get beat by Oregon. Is Oregon this good in a team that we got to start talking about as potentially a playoff team, or is Ohio State not as good as everyone thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season? The biggest question for me, and I'm curious to get your answer on this, do you think Urban Meyer is secretly happy to see that Ohio State's kind of not falling apart? They're still going to be a great team in the country, but if they're not top tier like when he was there, do you think he's going to be secretly happy because – when he passed the guard, you know, he was kind of forced out of Ohio State. 
and uh, they kept winning again and again, kind of at the same level that he was. I think seeing them kind of falter here because, look, Oregon did play a great football game, but Ohio State is not looking so great, especially defensively. They looked shaky in week one. They barely won. So when they played a top-ranked opponent, it wasn't that shocking to me to see the results of this game. But, you know, you have to give uh, credit to uh, Verdell, I believe his name is, C.J. Verdell, who had like 161 yards rushing. You know, you don't want to discredit them completely, but Ohio State is not looking like a top-tier team in for me right now you know spencer to me it's always shocking when somebody goes in and wins it at ohio state it's a really tough place to win the pac-12 has not been an ideal conference probably the lesser of the five major conferences in college sports over the past couple of years it looks like they're turning the corner a little bit but um i definitely didn't expect to see that i thought after that close call against minnesota ohio state would play really well against oregon i said they beat them by two touchdowns luckily i didn't say it on the show but i'm admitting i thought that before beforehand Oregon definitely better than I thought Ohio State definitely not as good as I thought and it's going to be interesting to see where they go the rest of the year you know Michigan fans are already getting excited now with the, the University of Michigan 2-0 that maybe this is the year that Jim Harbaugh can get over the hump and beat Ohio State uh, over everyone in Ann Arbor anyone that's listening I know I have Detroit uh, Detroit friends that listen to the show each week but don't get your hopes up I still don't think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State does Michigan look a lot better yes does Hutchinson look like an all-american defensive end yes but is Michigan going to beat Ohio State don't hold your breath on that one I think they'll beat Michigan State but that was on the road too uh and Jimmy Jimmy Harbaugh man he needs to win probably both those games to keep his job and probably get Michigan into a major bowl game and maybe even win it uh, it might not be that critical or serious but I know people in Michigan when you talk to them and I know tons of Michigan fans. They're not happy at all with the job he's done. They really aren't. I mean, the bottom line is in Michigan, number one, you beat Ohio State. Number two, you beat Michigan State. You could probably lose the rest of the games of the schedule, and they'd be pissed. But believe me, they would. They, they need reasons to celebrate in Ann Arbor. They look for them. And beating Michigan State and beating Ohio State are two of the biggest reasons of the year. So Jim Harbaugh is going to have to get it done, and Ohio State does look vulnerable this year. I think if there was every year that Michigan could pull off that upset, it would be this year. Another upset we talked a little bit about the USC um uh, excuse me about the Iowa State Iowa upset 27-17 not a huge upset probably a bigger upset was the way Stanford manhandled USC a big game for them 42-28 uh, USC never really in the game man Stanford just pounded them and I think USC may be a little bit overrated this year and uh, the other one was um Arkansas beating Texas I think was kind of a surprise Texas ranked 15th and Arkansas beat them 40 to 21 and I love that quarterback for Arkansas. The guy is just huge, Spencer. It's KJ Jefferson. He's 6'3", 245 pounds. He reminds me like a Jared Lorenzen when he used to quarterback at Kentucky. Just this huge guy, except Jared Lorenzen looked fat. This guy just looks big. And um, is he a pro prospect? I have no idea, but I know college, he's going to be giving college defenses a fit all year in the SEC because this guy can play. And like I said, he's big. And who wants to get in front of a guy 245 when he's got a full head of steam running at you? That's going to be the responsibility of a lot of defenses this year. So I like that. And the other upset, which I don't think is going to be called an upset for very long, BYU beats Crosstown rival Utah 26-17. to We saw BYU pound Arizona last week here at uh, – Allegiant Stadium in the kickoff classes, classic, and UNL, I should say um, BYU is looking like the real deal. They lose Zach Wilson, and uh, they haven't missed a beat. They've got great receiving core, really good running back, and the quarterback that's replaced him has done a really decent job, and I like Brigham Young, and as a matter of fact, I think you'll see Brigham Young sl slide in to the top 25 with that win over Utah this week. That's a big win for them. And Brigham Young, of course, just announcing uh, that they are going to be joining the Big 12, and I think it's 2025. Uh, so BYU, a lot to celebrate, and this team is pretty damn good, Spencer. Yeah, in that quarterback, Jaron Hall, he made a lot of uh, NFL-level throws. Look, he's got a long way to go before he's going to be drafted in the first round. But it's so – just think about the pressure in replacing the second overall pick at a smaller school like BYU – he doesn't seem to be uh, it doesn't seem to be an issue for him at all. 18 of 30, 149 yards and three touchdowns. This kid looks like the real deal. If he keeps it up, I mean, I, I'm a big fan. It would be really cool. If we got to see his first game you know, on the come up like that. That'd be really special. We did. And Zach Wilson was on the sidelines, which was kind of cool during that game at Allegiant Stadium. We were both there. It was exciting. And uh, hey, BYU's no slouch. I like it. Um, listen, let's move on. Go ahead and you can hit the button now. 
Novak Djokovic wins the U.S. Open today. He will pass both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal for the most major championships with 21. That's in tennis history, Spencer. They all three have 20 major championships right now. This has to cement the Joker as the GOAT in men's tennis. I mean, is that too big of a statement? Not according to the man he beat. It's great for the sport. Nobody thought that anybody will do it again, what Rod Laver did. So um, to see him have the chance on Sunday, and I, I do believe that he will do it, um, is great. I mean, he's breaking every single record that it, there is. He, you, if you look at the stats, if you look at uh, you know the pure game of tennis, he's the greatest of all time. Nobody comes, you know, nobody is there with him because. Most weeks world number one, most Masters 1000 titles, most likely going to be most Grand Slams at the end of the day. And he has the chance of winning all four in the same year. How do you how do you compete with that? Spencer, it's a good question. I don't know how you compete with that. Um, I'm not a giant. I don't follow tennis religiously, but I've always watched it. I've always been intrigued by it. It's always got some great personalities. John McEnroe was a tremendous personality. Um, Bjorn Borg, I mean, throughout history. Uh, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, God, I can't think of his name now. His son played for the Chicago Bulls for a long time, still, I think, in the NBA. Um, but the uh, kid played at Florida. Noah. Anyways, his father was a was a was a character on the court as well. But there's been a lot of them, Spencer. And um, I'll tell you right now, 21 major wins, and he is looking to become the first calendar Grand Slam winner in men's tennis since 1969. You heard his opponent in the semifinals that that he beat, um, Alexander uh, Zarev basically say that, you know, he mentioned a Rod Laver. Rod Laver was in the stands, but that was back in 1969. The last person to win a natural Grand Slam within the same calendar year was Steffi Graf in 1988. I mean, it's just when, you know, what, what really shocked me about that is I think of all the great tennis players, not just Federer and Nadal, but I think of Pete Sampras. I think of Bjorn Borg. I think of, uh, you know, um, Jimmy Connor, Mar- Le- um, Yvonne Lendl, so many others passed through my heads, even John McEnroe. Nobody's done this since Rod Laver in 69. How did Roger Federer not do this? But he's going for his fourth U.S. Open today against uh, um, Daniil, um, um, I think it's Medved, right? Medved is the way you pronounce his last name. Like I said, I don't follow enough. He's really good, though. This guy, Medved, Medved, um, Medvedev, Medvedev is his last name. Um, he, he has beat him three out of the last five times they played, but the last time they played was at the Australian Open, and obviously uh, Joe, the Joker won that one. And um, this guy's amazing, Spencer. He's got so many records that he just keeps going for. It's his 34th, uh, 31st major final, and that ties him with Federer for the most men's in tennis history. So one more, and he'll pass Roger if Roger doesn't make it to another one. If he wins today against Djokovic, would be the third man to win a calendar Grand Slam. He will be the first man or woman, as I mentioned, since Graf won it in 88, and he will pass both Federer and Dahl for the most all-time in history. Um it is pretty amazing when you think of what he's done in his career. Uh, it, it, Spencer, it's just shocking. He's ten and zero in matches after leading the opening, after losing the opening set in majors this season. Ten and zero, he loses the opening set, still comes back and wins the other one. He's won twenty seven straight matches this year in majors in, in majors tournaments. This will be twenty eight. That's insane. I think the player you were thinking about earlier was Joakim Noah, by the way. Yeah, Joakim Noah and his son. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I just looked it up. But, no, it's – like, tennis has this very storied history, which is very interesting because the game hasn't – has literally not changed since its inception. When you think about basketball, I think of the three-point line and football and just the way the rules have changed. It is not like that for tennis. A lot of these guys are apples to apples for the most part. You maybe can talk about the talent pool, but I, I wouldn't say that any one point in time tennis had the best players in the world. So – what he's doing right now is insane. And 
you know, I I always make fun of uh, like Sports Center and all these other places for making up like, oh, he's the first player on a Tuesday to do this. This is not like that. What he's doing is actually very, very special, and I hope he gets it. Spencer, special enough for the opening football Sunday. UNLV played. We got the Aces heading to the playoff. Aviators, one of the hottest teams in the in uh, AAA baseball, and we're talking tennis here. So you know how big this is, and and honestly, gigantic. And and what he's doing is incredible. Med Medved is a formidable opponent, as I said, ranked number two going into the U.S. Open. So very rarely on a football Sunday, especially opening week, I'm going to be going back and forth and watching this match today, which is insane. But that's how big this is in tennis history. Really, really, really cool. And the U.S. Open women's final, Spencer, also also made history. Do you know that the woman who won it, her name is um, Edda, I think it's Radakanu is, is the way you pronounce her name, Radakanu. Anyway, she's from Great Britain. She is the first female qualifier, 18 years old, to ever win a Grand Slam tournament. And check this out. She had never played in a professional tournament before the U.S. Open, Spencer, and won the thing at 18 years old. Uh, Queen Elizabeth said her win was a remarkable achievement. So even Queen Elizabeth paying attention to that in Great Britain. Hats off to this 18-year-old. And she played that 19-year-old phenom from Canada, um, Emma Fernandez, who's been nothing but spectacular, beat her um, in straight sets. And very impressive fashion. Uh, put that name, Radakanu is her name, Emma Radicadu. I'd remember that name, Spencer. If you want to keep track of women's tennis, this girl's 18 years old and, wow, came out of literally nowhere to win it. One of the greatest feats in tennis history also happened, and that was just yesterday. So the U.S. Open, all kinds of great things this year going on there. And uh, pretty cool, man. So definitely 4 o'clock today if you get a chance. Like I said, uh, I would definitely check this out. I know it's football Sunday, but uh, worth worth the watch for sure. The Raiders, Spencer. Time for the S and B. We can't say with C anymore because Caleb Herring, uh, of course, on active duty now back with Metro, but he'll be in here dropping in occasionally to talk UNLV as he's still the color guy on our sister station, the leader. And uh, Caleb will still keep joining the show when he can, when time permits. But in preseason, Spencer, with the Raiders, we only saw one quarterback, Nathan Peterman. They went 2-1 and one in the preseason. He went 63 for 92, two touchdowns, four interceptions. That doesn't sound good, but based on the, Mater, the Nathan Peterman I remember in Buffalo, he is definitely way improved. I think he's earned the third spot of this team. I'm not unhappy with it, but that's not the guy we need to talk about. We need to talk about Derek Carr and this Raiders team that um, the offense, man, I mean, their offensive personnel, everyone's healthy. The only one they were worried about is Josh Jacobs. Is he going to respond? But he looks like he's going to play in healthy. Defensively, we know the linebacking core has gotten depleted. They picked up a few players about a week and a half ago. They picked up Denzel Perryman out of Carolina, a few other guys, but they're going to be hurting. Defense has been a struggle for them. You know, the two years of the Raiders, well, last year with the Raiders here, and it's been a struggle with them probably since they let Khalil Mack get away. Um, but Spencer, Derek Carr, back to the original subject with this guy. I love Derek Carr as a person, as a community leader, as a just he's a good guy. I've not I've actually, you know what's funny? I, I interviewed Derek Carr when he was in college at Fresno State, but I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet for the Raiders. One of these days I'll get down there. But I really like the guy as a person. I think he is an NFL quarterback. The question is, I know I already know your answer, but I'll ask you, is Derek Carr a guy that can eventually lead this team somewhere beyond just maybe a postseason game? There have been much worse quarterbacks to have won Super Bowls, to take their teams to Super Bowls. I think he's slightly better than Jimmy Garoppolo. So, you know, I'm not his number one fan in the world, but I'm really concerned. I mean, this offense has gotten worse from last season, and I think that's an objective fact. You pick up a good backup running back, like, that's great. Booker, for me, was fine last year as a backup. He played better than Josh Jacobs at a certain point in the season. So, And what do they do instead as a response? They cut Booker and give a guy $12 million who's not going to see the field as much. It makes no sense. Also, you know, the savior John Brown that everyone was talking about, he didn't even make the team. He got cut. So our number one receiver on their team had 435 yards receiving last year. Derek Carr may be able to get it done. I know you like Darren Waller, but he's a tight end. He's going to be blocking sometimes. These guys have to find a way to get open. Brian Edwards is going to be one of our number one wide receivers. He was a fourth-round pick last year. I mean, if the Lions didn't exist, they'd have the worst receiving core in the NFL. And the only other thing I'll say about our offense is this. 
Look at what CeeDee Lamb did on Thursday Night Football to kick off the season. He had a few drops. One of them wasn't it resulted in an interception. But otherwise, that guy was dominant. How confident would you feel in this Raiders team, especially on Monday, against a weakened Ravens team if they had CeeDee Lamb instead of a big question mark? I like to call him right now Jacoby Ford 2.0. Uh, and uh, I can't think of a kid's name now, and even at this point played at Alabama. But uh, I'm excited for the team. I'm excited. I'm obviously going to the game on Monday, so I'm definitely going to want them to win the game. I'm just not so sure. But, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to win against a team you shouldn't, it's against Baltimore because they have lost everybody to torn ACLs, it seems. Well, they have, including, as, I don't know if you mentioned, I, I, I was checking something out here, but they're starting running back. I mean, Dawkins uh, looked like a star last year. He's in his second year, and the kid blows out his ACL in the first preseason game. That's a huge, uh, huge setback for the Ravens as his running ability really helped offset Lamar Jackson and help free him up a little bit. Now, the key when it comes to the running game is going to be on Lamar Jackson, and he's going to have to beat you through the air. Edwards got a great tight end, got some really good receivers as well, but it, they're definitely not the team they were, and they're depleted defensively. They're missing two two players on the defense, which is really going to hurt the Ravens coming in to a packed house, I imagine, at Allegiant Stadium. Not I imagine, but it will be as much as COVID will allow. Um, it's going to be a tough game. Um, the Ravens dropped, I think, their four-point favorites right now. They were up to – God, I think they were all the way up to six at one point. Um, I think they're dropping because their defense is depleted. Uh, the running game, like I said, is going to be a mystery coming in. But, Spence, I just don't know uh, – I, I still like the Ravens in this game. I really do. I think that the quarterback play is going to be very, very difficult for the Raiders' defense to con contend with, especially depleted at the linebacker position. Um, Lamar Jackson, man, the guy's a running quarterback, and you really want good, quick season linebackers playing against them. When you've got a when you've got a very mobile quarterback like that, it is the linebackers that really make the difference in the game, and that's the Raiders' weakest link right now on their defense. So I think it could be a long night. It is the home opener. It'll, it'll be, there'll be an emotional, loud crowd on hand. I think it'll be close. I might even take the Raiders if I was going to be bet on the game and, and take the four points in the Raiders, but I, th I, think, uh, I think the Ravens are a field goal better is my pick in that game. What about you? I actually think the Raiders are going to win this game. I think it's just going to be too exciting for them. I think they're going to, if they can just produce enough points, uh, I think the Raiders defense will hold just enough uh, because they don't have to worry about the run game. They can focus more, you know, on covering their mediocre wide receivers that they have over there in Baltimore. I'm not huge on the Raiders this entire season, but for this one, for the most exciting game of the season, pretty much for me, I say they get the win and uh, actually not even very close. I think they blow them out. Spencer, I, I, you know what? I love your optimism. I'm wearing the Raiders hat. As you can see, I'm wearing my, my, uh, Matthew Stafford Lions jersey because Matthew Stafford makes his debut tonight and the opener of Sunday night football. Um, it should be an interesting game uh, with the Rams and the Bears. Uh, the Bears shooting, the, starting the red pea shooter. Who knows? You might even get to see Marge Simpson. And, you know, people keep saying, why do you say Marge Simpson? Will you put a picture of Justin Fields up to, next to a picture of Marge Simpson and look at the two of them? He is Marge Simpson. But uh, he will be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears very soon. Um, I don't know if he'll get in the game tonight, but if they look awful, you might see him because the Rams defense is going to fluster a lot of teams this year. And Andy Dalton especially, man, that guy will be running for his life and he doesn't have much mobility left. Uh, Justin Fields will be in the lineup soon tonight. I don't know if tonight, I mean, he, I, I mean, Andy Dalton would have to play really bad or get hurt, I think, for Fields to, to get on the field tonight. But you never know. Maybe in the second half uh, they take a look at the kid. But um, that is going to be that's going to be interesting. And then we're Matthew Stafford. Then, of course, I'm wearing the Raiders hat. Uh, you know, the Raiders' first game ever at Allegiant Stadium in front of fans. I should say first regular season game ever. That's going to be interesting, Spencer. It'll be an interesting Monday night to see what happens and to see this version of the – Las Vegas Raiders to see if they're going to definitely, in fact, be better than last year's. Um, offensively, it's going to be it's it's going to be tough all the way around. I mean, um, offensive line is still weak too, even though they use their number one pick on an offensive tackle. I still think the offensive line is going to be a problem as well. It should be interesting. Other game, Spencer, I brought up the Lions and want to talk about that as well. Of course, uh, you know when I brought up Matthew Stafford going over to the Rams and the 49ers going into Detroit, they're like eight and a half point favorites right now in Detroit. Um, 
I don't think it's enough. I mean, I, I want to pull for the Lions. It's why I'm wearing the jersey. It's at the beginning of the season, we always have hope. They're 0 and 0. They're tied for the best record in the National Football League right now at 0 and 0. So that's why I uh, I wear a, a Lions jersey to, to start the season every year. But I just don't know this 49ers team. I mean, Jimmy G. The biggest question with them is I didn't think Trey Lance looked ready to play at this level yet, and I think it's going to take some more seasoning. He's sitting behind a decent guy to get season mind. Jimmy G's not going to be someone you want to model your game after necessarily, but he's a fundamentally sound quarterback. He has taken a team to the Super Bowl. His biggest problem is can the guy stay healthy? He's missed 23 out of 48 games in the last three seasons, Spencer. That's just way too much. Trey Lance needs to be ready right now because chances are if history you know, it repeats itself in any way, shape, or form, Trey Lance is going to be in the lineup pretty soon. The 49ers traded three first-round picks overall to the Miami Dolphins to move up to get Lance, so they are definitely expecting him to be the starting quarterback in the near future. What's the near future to me? First of all, do you think the Lions have a prayer against the 49ers today? And secondly, what do you think the near future means for Trey Lance? Well, first I would say I hope not because I put a lot of money on the 49ers to win that football game today, so probably one of my biggest bets of the season. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen uh, personally. It's just the Lions are going to have a real big problem this year. <laughs> they don't have a lot of talent on either side of the football. Maybe defensively, there's a few things you can look forward to. <laughs> and DeAndre Swift was like possibly involved in a murder recently. I don't know if you heard about that, <laughs> but that might be happening. I don't know. We'll see what, what ends up happening there. But, you know, Trey Lance, I think he will have a shot at some point. I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get hurt. I see Jimmy G as like a Kroger brand Derek Carr. It's kind of how I describe him. He can win you football games simply because the rest of their team is just that good. Debo Samuel, Ayuk, who got hurt early last season, he's going to be back. A great running game with a, a myriad of talented guys. So, And we all know that they're going to have a good playbook as well. If he doesn't get hurt, Lance isn't seeing the field this season. That's for sure. But like you said, one has... Jimmy G ever played a full season, if ever. I don't think he has. Yeah, you talk about two of the receiver, receivers in Ayuk and Debo Samuels will come back, and you've got another guy that is going to come back healthy and uh, and and one of the best wide receivers in the game, yet he's listed as a tight end, and that's uh, Kittle. Uh, George Kittles is, in my opinion, the third best tight end in the National Football League behind Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller, and uh, you add him to that mix with an already very seasoned, grizzled 49er team and a four-headed but again, they've got four guys that can carry the ball in the backfield. And the biggest thing for the 49ers that people say, well, how did they fall off so much? Like, Look at how unhealthy they were defensively in 2020. It was almost a crime. They were literally down to a skeleton crew of themselves. And really, when you look at a couple of years ago when they made it to the Super Bowl against Kansas City, it was by their defense and their running game offensively. It had not, really had very little to do with Jimmy G. He was serviceable. He's efficient. Like I said, he's a fundamentally sound quarterback for the most part, as long as you don't require him to win you a football game. Serviceable. What caught them in the Super Bowl to this day, I'll say 100% with Shanahan. Their coach, Kyle Shanahan, all of a sudden, a game, the running game had been working all game for him. They're winning the football game, and then in the in the fourth quarter, he decides, oh, let's let Jimmy G start throwing the football. Huge mistake. I don't know why he did that to Jimmy G or he did it to his team, but the reason the 49ers were there, got that far, was that year they had the best defense in the National Football League. This year, they are completely healthy again and have added a few new pieces to that puzzle, have everybody back from the, that still remains on the team from two years ago on a defense that went to the Super Bowl. Don't discount this team. You know, everyone talks about the Rams and the Buccaneers defense. Hey, the 49ers are right there with them. Trust me, and I think you'll see that tonight. It won't be a great example against the Detroit Lions, but they're on the road. They're against the Detroit Lions. And other than T.J. Hawkinson, Jared Goff has no weapons to throw the football to him. You talk about a tight end that needs to be a wide receiver this year that will be double and triple team. T.J. Hawkinson, probably a top five NFL tight tight end right now and he's the only weapon swift can catch the ball out of the backfield but you're not going to rely on that you're looking at young and really unproven wide receivers in detroit this year they let everyone they had a fire sale last year spencer i, I talk about all the time how sick i am they got rid of everyone they got rid of prater they got rid of harris their, their whole their special team kicker and punter and then of course they got rid of their top all three of their top wide receivers are gone with kenny galladay in new york you've got marvin jones in Jacksonville. I don't know where the hell Danny Amendola went. Maybe he retired, but they're all gone. 
and I am really concerned with this team. 0-16, no. I think they'll win five or six games this year. I do, which is not what I want them to do. But today, eight and a half points in San Francisco. We're not to our big segments yet, but stay tuned. That is going to be a really tough one. A game that's really interesting to me, Spencer, this year is, you know, people are all wondering, did Ben Roethlisberger, is he holding on too tight? Should he get out of the game? At times, he can still throw a good football. At other times, man, he looks so washed up, it's not funny. And he's got a real tough task today in Buffalo against Josh Allen, who, you know, other than next to Patrick Mahomes, might be the best quarterback in the National Football League around his way to being there. This is a real tough, tough team. They've beaten the Steelers the last two times they've played them, and they're coming off a franchise-tying 13-win season. Six-and-a-half-point favorite against the Steelers. What do you think about this game? Pretty intriguing matchup. Well, here's the thing. I, this is probably the most interesting game of the week because Josh Allen's a complete anomaly. What he, what, the leap that he made last season is un, it's never happened pretty much. I would say maybe twice in NFL history. So can he keep that up? Can he play like an MVP again? We all know he got a huge contract. So that's one part of the puzzle. You know, we all heard that Ben Roethlisberger lost a lot of weight over the offseason. He seems really all in. But this is a guy who hasn't completed a season in a long time. And even when he's in sometimes, like he said, doesn't look so great. If Pittsburgh goes in and wins today, they should uh, – you should put some money on them to win the AFC North. I mean, everyone else, Baltimore, so hurt. Cleveland, that was their first year of really getting it done. So we'll have to see there. And then the Bengals, obviously, are a non-factor. You know, we've thrown the Steelers to the side, and I hate the Steelers personally. They're not my favorite team. I'm a Raiders fan. There's a pretty big rivalry there. But, you know, besides rivalries, they're, uh, their defense is amazing. And they just re-signed TJ Watt. So I agree with you. That's the best game of the week. I think the Bills will get it done. I think that they may get it done in convincing fashion, but you can never discount the Steelers as long as Big Ben somehow wheels himself out there. Well, Spencer, I you know, it, it is the most intriguing matchup. I don't think the Steelers are going to win this game. I have a feeling it might not be a great game, but it's going to depend on how well the Steelers' defense can hold up against that mighty charging Bills offense. And and I'll tell you this much. There's a lot of intriguing matchups. I don't know how the NFL does this, but like the Jets playing the Panthers. Now, most people are like, why are you saying that's an intriguing matchup? Well, Sam Darnold got cast off after being the apparent Jets savior, and he's playing starting for the Carolina Panthers. And then you've got the new one coming in, Zach Wilson coming in. I'm interested to see Sam Donald. This is when he stand up. If Sam Donald is an NFL quarterback and a future stud in the NFL, this is a game you get really excited about and you come in and you play very well in. If the if the Panthers don't win this game by say 10 points plus, I'm disappointed in Sam Donald because this game should light you up. They gave up on you. You should feel embarrassed. You should feel humiliated. And you should absolutely bring out your best and show why you were at one point a number one draft pick. But if he's outplayed by Zach Wilson in this game right now, that's not going to bode well for him. So I'm interested to see what Sam Donald is going to show up in this Panthers game because he's got a better team to work with than he did. Not a much better team, but a better team in Carolina than he had to work with last year in New York. Well, I agree with you. Sam Donald has, was horrible so far in his career like seriously like Jamarcus Russell levels of bad in my opinion so is it going to be oh it's just a New York thing uh I don't know I don't know if he can go that far but he does have a new weapon Terrence Marshall I'm a really big fan of that guy and it made me realize just how amazing historically great that LSU offense was with Joe Burrow a couple of years ago Justin Jefferson Terrence Marshall and now they have Jamar Chase when you look back Clyde Edwards Elaire was a running back I just wanted to quickly mention that so Sam Darnold has no more excuses anymore. He has great weapons over there in Carolina. Well, he doesn't have Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is... Well, he has Terrence Marshall, I yeah. mean to say. So Terrence Marshall, um, you know, his other receiver is really good, too. He's got, obviously, the best running back in the league, pretty much. He needs to get some points on the board, or else it's not going to last very long for him in Carolina. No, and it's not. But I, I really think we're going to see Carolina. I think this is a good game to take Carolina, because usually... Professional athletes have pride, and Sam Darnold wants to show the Jets that they made a mistake. You always see that. So I expect Carolina to have a big game today. Another quick game that I wanted to mention, too, is you brought up Jamar Chase, and so that bodes me over to the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow coming back from a knee injury in his rookie year. You know, Spencer, it's a huge game for Joe Burrow. People aren't talking about this, but when you take a knee injury like Joe did in your very first season ever, do you have the stones to come back and play at the level of the NFL when you've now been hit – 
and he's playing on a team where he's still going to be defenseless. Cincinnati spent their pick to bring his buddy and, and college teammate Jamar Chase in from LSU instead of going out and getting one of the best offensive linemen. The Lions, of course, got him, but he was there for Cincinnati to protect the blind side of Joe Burrow. They elected to pass on him. They go after Jamar Chase, and so a lot's going to be expected of this tandem, but first and foremost, man, is Joe Burrow's mind going to be okay to play at this level, still knowing he's basically unprotected uh, behind the, behind a pretty thin offensive line? I'm worried about him. I'm worried about this Bengals team. They could end up being the worst team in the National Football League this year, and yet at wide receiver, they might be the most talented. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you got to – the fact that they have not spent everything to protect him, trade away your best defense players. Who cares? This guy was his like had the greatest season of college football history, and he looked to fit the bill during his first few weeks of football. The rest of their team wasn't very good, but he looked great, and he made some throws. They didn't do anything. I mean, their offensive line is marginally better. You know, they did get him another weapon, which is a great thing. But, again, I'm just so shocked at this Bengals team. I feel like they're ruining the career of a really – promising quarterback and it really bums me out we'll see what happens today though last game i want to talk about we got to move on as we're running out of time here but the, the sunday night game we talked about matthew stafford's debut with the rams all the rams have been singing his praises saying he's making every pass he's making every play he's picked up the playbook very very quickly um you know young young coach young successful coach that seems to jive well with the players they're playing the bears bears are still a decent defense um but, you know, the offense is going to be suspect. They've got a running game. Allen Robinson, they definitely have a receiving game. Decent tight end. The, obviously, Andy Dalton, the starter for week one. But this is one, you know, when you say who's going to be the first quarterback to be replaced in 2021, it's got to be the red pea shooter. Andy Dalton, I mean, there's no way this can get the guy done. I I, I think when, when he got traded from Dallas to Chicago, Bears fans were crying all over the country till they drafted Marge Simpson. Now that they have Justin Fields, and I'll refer to him as both those terms as time goes on. Maybe I'll even give him that nickname. But uh, um, I think he's the first guy to be replaced, and I don't see him. I don't see Andy Dalton getting out of week two before Justin Fields is on the field. Yeah, they, they just didn't want to put him in. Like no one wants their rookie debut to be against Aaron Donald, so they're they're going to have the excuse of look, Andy Dalton looked terrible against this great defense, and then they'll play him for the rest of the season. So that's what I think is going to happen. Very well, could Spencer? Let's move on. It's time as we run out of time, and uh, before we do that, well, since we're on the NFL, let's just go ahead and give our picks. I'm not even going to tell you eight and a half points is what San Francisco is giving the Detroit Lions. I always make it a point, or I guess I don't always because I wouldn't be doing this, but I try to make it a point not to pick against or for my home team because I want to be able to root for them, but I want to be able to win the pit segment on this show. But I'm sorry, man. This is too easy of a pick for me. The Detroit Lions, I just don't see anything there. And San Francisco is a contender in the NFC. As a matter of fact, you know, I could see San Francisco playing like the Bucks or the Rams or somebody along those lines for the NFC Championship this year. And here they are playing the Lions in week one. I can already smell the odor from the post game in Ford Field. I'm going to say San Francisco 35, Detroit 7. Yeah, I'm, I was going to go for the 49ers as well, but I'll uh, go opposite and I'll go with my hometown team or my favorite team, the Raiders. I'll take the plus points this week. I really think they're going to get it done. Okay, well, we'll see. It's, uh, well, I think it's four points, Spencer. So you got the Raiders and four at home at Allegiant Stadium. Real quick, the, the Las Vegas Aces, Spence, uh, not a great week this week. They went one and one, but they're still a game and a half up on Seattle in the West. They got the second best record in the WNBA, two, two and a half games behind Connecticut Sun, who don't seem to want to lose at 24 and six. Three games left, and then the postseason. Of course, Lambeer just last week got his 300th win, only the second coach in WNBA history to, to get it. The, 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 the Aces have five Olympians, six if you count Lim Campage, who was hurt and couldn't play for Australia. That's pretty impressive on a roster of 12. Six of them are Olympians. Impressive. What can this team do? they got three games left. The next game's tomorrow night against the Dallas Wings. It's a noontime game. Three games left. What can this team do, and can they win in the postseason this year? Yeah, uh, Dallas stinks, So, but Chicago and Phoenix will be a good test before going into the playoffs, and it's going to fall on Asia Wilson. Look, there's no excuse for this team not to win a championship. You just mentioned that they have the best roster in the NBA or the WNBA, and they've had it since their first year here. So we'll see. Asia Wilson has kind of 
is a, one of the only volume power forwards I've ever seen play basketball before. So we'll see how it ends up working out. She's shooting below 50%. And usually for big men, that's not a good sign. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, they have. there's no way that they can't uh, go deep. And he he meant to say a big woman. And the other thing that I'll say really quick is, if you haven't gotten down to Mandalay Bay to check out the Las Vegas Aces, it really is a good time. Get your tickets now and definitely be there to support them in the postseason. We're out of time. I just want to let you know, again, the Las Vegas Aviators playing tonight. They got two more games tonight, tomorrow and two. Tuesday, 7 o'clock start against Reno, and uh, they're right in the hunt for a playoff spot there. Next week, we'll talk playoffs in Major League Baseball. We're out of time. I'm Brian Feldman. I want to thank you for joining the show today. This is Out of Line. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9. I want to thank Spencer, the Wiz of Strosky, my social media director, for kicking it with me today. And, of course, Bobby Machado back in studio, social distancing and serving as our producer today. We appreciate you, Bobby. Thanks so much. We're out. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.